Welcome to another edition of the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, if you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube. Give the show five stars and give me your opinion on the show with a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or by leaving a comment on YouTube. And on today's show, I've got Dave Rydell. So welcome on to the show, Dave. Hi, mate. Thanks for inviting me. So, How are you? I'm good, thanks. To yourself? Yeah, good, thanks. So can you give a brief introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah, so... I guess for me, I guess I'll start start at the beginning and it kind of gives a, an overview of kind of where I got to and how I got there. So for me, back like many people, used to do sport in school. I wasn't particularly good. Um, so like many people that have been in elite sports, I kind of found it easy and went on to be successful. I think I started off my sports career with a three-legged banana race in primary school, um, which we won. So I started off with the success. Uh, sports days, kind of in primary school, nothing amazing, you know, coming last in your kind of foot races. Um, then I got to secondary school, and I guess I went through a growth spurt, like many people do. So year seven, year eight, you know, talking 11, 12 years old, then I kind of found my calling in life, which was a steel ball, you know, the shot put. Uh, so kind of that was what I was doing in PE lessons, found a knack that I could throw a heavy ball far. And progressed with that. Uh, at the same time, I was doing my running. I'd been inspired by Olympic Christie, the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. That was kind of like my hook into sports. I'd kind of seen just how amazing that was. And I thought, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to go to a major games. So that was the age of 12, which kind of gives my age away now. But, but back then, you know, that's what I seen. I seen it on a TV and I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to go there. It looks fantastic. So that became my, you know, my dream, my passion. Uh, at the time, I didn't know how I was going to get there. But then I remember going into school, saying to people, you know, I want to go to a major games. And then they kind of like, how are you going to do that? It's like, you know, well, I'm, I'm doing the shot put. I won my sports day. And, you know, that's what I want to do. Um, and I, I go I think my first English schools championship, to so anyone who's done athletics listen to this, will appreciate that. So went to English schools. You got, I think it's the, one of the biggest sporting events in the world, especially at, at that age. Um, and you're competing for your, for your county, which man is Merseyside. So massive events. I've never been to anything like that. I don't think I'd stayed away from home for particularly more than more than a night. Um, and then you're away, you know, with loads of people you don't know, particularly uh, in a strange town. I think for, for us it was Nottingham, um, and I came second to last. Um, and this, so I had this dream, and then all you know, all of a sudden it's like crushed. It's like, all right, I'm really not. I've got a long way to go. Um, but. I guess even even back then, I thought, you know, what what can I do to improve? What can I do to get there? And I was single-minded from a young age. Um, but then I, think I was working, doing some part-time stuff in a gym. Kind of got introduced to a guy that did weightlifting coaching. And he, uh, he started to show me some of the techniques, weightlifting, flexibility, as well as doing my shot put training with my coach. I went back the year after. I think this was in Sheffield. So from going from second to last, probably last, I can't find the results that long ago, but then I came second, so I got selected for England, um, and yeah, so then I was on the path to like, you know, this this can become a reality. People, when I was at school, I was saying, you know, I want to I go to the Olympics, 
Commonwealth Games. Um, and then I, I watched, I don't know, you might be, maybe around your area, but I watched Grange Hill. Remember Grange Hill? Yeah. Yeah, so I was watching Grange Hill, and then this woman came over from America as a scout to watch one of the guys run around the track. Uh, she was a scout for American University. In the end, he got injured and he didn't go, but I thought, I can do that. I've seen it, it exists, you can go to America. So I started talking to people, mentioning I want to go to America, and he thought I was mad. I'm a bit, I'm a bit mad, which helps anyway. But the th- back then, at 14, 15 years old, saying I want to go to America, I didn't have a clue how I was going to get there, what you had to do, how you got selected. You know, I just I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, back then, that's when you had to dial into the internet and sit there waiting for it to dial up and make noises. And then I started searching, you know, and I found this agency. I guess nowadays you'd kind of see it as a recruitment agency, but they, they had a recruitment agency for athletes for universities from all around the world. I'd go to America, got in touch with one, paid the fee, and they kind of like, it's like a, in essence, like a, a social media back then for, for these colleges. And they put your profile up, and then I got contacted by quite a few universities. Um, I think it was by the age of six, I think 16, got in touch with them, and then over the next couple of years, worked towards passing the SAT, and then uh, getting selected for European juniors, and then, yeah, went to America as a shot putter. In my first stage of life, I was uh, got up to 20 stone shot putter. Um, yeah, so most people wouldn't recognise me for that. Now, when I put pictures on, I think of the weight loss. The you know they say it's flat out, it's not you. But so yeah, so I was a shot putter. However, due to the American system, got a lot of injuries. They expected a lot from you. Um, you, you know, have a massive amount of people that kind of go input output, and whoever's kind of standing at the end. You know, kind of, they're the college champions. So I was competing likes against Christian Campwell, Reese Hoffer, Carl Myersko from Blackpool. So that was kind of my era. Um, up against some massive, massive guys. I wasn't particularly massive, but I always tried to match those kind of guys with their strength feats. You know, I think I got up to 205 kilogram bench press when I was 19. Uh, I think I hang clean. I did 160 kilograms. Um, but putting my body through all that, Stress led to lots of injuries. So come 2002, just before the Commonwealth Games trials for Manchester, ended up rupturing my pectoral muscle off. Um, and then still managed to get to the trial six weeks later, having had to hold my chest in place. Um, come fifth, they took the top three to the Commonwealth Games. So even though it was quite... Gutting, you know, I'd still managed to have that resolve, resilience to say, you know, yeah, okay, I'm injured, but what can I do? I'm not going to get down about it. So, you know, so I started to shape, take shape with the, the mindset. Um, that was at 22. I had to retire pretty much after then because my body was just tore up. I had reconstructive hand surgery, elbow bone spare removal. I'd had epidurals several times into my spine for smashing up my discs, knee surgery, cortisone injections so I was that was like the age of 22 shot putters normally get to their peak you're looking 28 30 so I kind of had to nip it in the bud at a young age finished off my studies in America came back still wanted to work in sports and then the only way back then I feasibly I could do it was become a PE teacher so I wanted to go give something back Um, did teaching for a while Enjoyed the sports side of it, the coaching. You know, had some amazing experiences. 
the PE side of it in terms of trying to match the lessons to the rest of the curriculum wasn't particularly fun for me. There wasn't much room for creativity. Um, it was just kind of, you know, you were just following what you were told to do, which isn't what I do anyway. So the opportunity came up by chance. I think one night I'd, uh, I'd gone and trained in Manchester Sports City. So my first love being athletics, doing some training on a Friday night after working in school. And I had met Steve Peters, Dr. Steve Peters, uh, author Chim Paradox, many people would have heard of. And then I was just training and then I think I was just moaning like teachers do. Then one of his mates said to me, you know, just think of it this way, you've got to do it for the rest of your life. And that's when I was like, whoa, I'm not doing that. So I was like, so I just approached him and said, you know, how do you work? What can I do for British Cycling? Uh, fancied working in elite sport, you know, wasn't sure what I'd do. Um, had a, I guess, uh, an interest in psychology, even though back then I didn't know what a formal approach would be. So just said to him, give us a job. So yeah, so then I did some, I did some, I guess, work experience in my spare time, just kind of on the job with Steve Peters, kind of seeing what he, what he did as a psychiatrist. Um, and then, you know, from there, enjoyed the impact you could have with an athlete from the mental side. And then, you know, for, yeah, 2008, I started working for the Great Britain cycling team. So my job was performance psychologist. Um, and that's what I did, as well as being, I guess, some people may read it. I then became, did some cycling, uh, watched them on the track and thought, I can do that. It wasn't as easy as that. So then I had to lose six stone from being 20 stone shot putter to then be, but again, it was like, right, that's what I want to do. So I just asked everyone, Jason Queerly, who's Olympic champion, Tim Buckle, one of the top coaches, asking advice from Chris Hoy, you know, anyone I could get information from. I didn't have a clue about cycling. I wasn't particularly into cycling. Never watched it on TV. Watched the velodrome stuff because that was cool. The other stuff was boring. I'd never go out on a bike because who, who does that? You know, I'd go to the gym and lift weights. I thought if geeky people go out and ride bikes, they're probably, probably still the same. Um, and then, yeah, kind of transformed my body. Into, uh, even when I got into the cycling, I wasn't particularly skillful, but I had a lot of power. Uh, transferred into that, 2009, became I think, silver medalist on the tandem for Great Britain. Took a little bit of a back step as I was working with the athletes as performance psychologist for the Olympics 2012. Had another little I can't stint as I got the opportunity to go to Commonwealth Games and then represented Northern Ireland in uh, Commonwealth Games 2014. So that's not necessarily brief, but kind of gives an overview of you know wh where I was compared to where I got to, um, which which I guess I get kind of lays the foundations as kind of why I got into the, the psychology, if you will. And Dave, can you can you explain to the the listeners, what are some of the downsides to having epidurals and cortisone injections? Um, there's a risks associated with it. So I was told at the time, and I guess when you're an athlete, you know, you, you kind of put in the performance first. So what it can do, you know, can affect your, I guess, actual sense, you know, knock out your nerves. So you lose some feeling in your legs. Um, so on a couple of them, I, I think within a few days, I'd lose a bit of sensation down, I think it was down the sciatic nerve, thereabouts where they injected me. Um, so you had a, a numbness. Uh, for some people, that you know that doesn't come, come the feeling all doesn't come back. 
Uh, for other people that have been unfortunate, as some reports have said, you know, you can actually become paralysed from it. Um, so I was in a foreign country, in America, you know, no no friends or family as such other than the ones I've met over there. And they're like, do you want an epidural? And I was just like, yeah. So I just, that's what I've got to do because my dream was, I've, you know, I want to make a major games. So it's going to do whatever it takes to get me back training. Because uh, I remember that the first time I had that severe injury, I was doing the weight throw in training, which is a 35 pound, around 15 kilograms, big ball on a handle. And as I'd got, and you wind her up like the hammer throw, like you might see on the Olympics, went to wind her up as I come round, enter into the circle, my back gave out, fell to the floor, and I was paralysed for roughly, seemed like an eternity, but five seconds, couldn't feel my legs. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that the disc must have just hit right against the nerves. Because came back round, but then I couldn't walk, barely, for about a week. Um, once that had subsided, then the option was to have the, uh, the epidural, um, and then th- thereafter, as kind of the, the symptoms had come back, I'd, I had another two when I was over in America. Um, and the only thing you say to people is when you've had an epidural, oh yeah, that's what pregnant women have. So I was like, I can assure you I wasn't pregnant, even though I had 20 stone, you know, you probably could have passed as carrying, but so yeah, so a lot, lot of risk, but you know, and I, and I, I wouldn't advise them to anyone if you can get away with it and do more core stability, then I'd always take that option and that it's like the last resort because it's, it is a serious uh, procedure to have. And in terms of, uh, from your personal uh, opinion, as now as a psychologist, are athletes a little bit short-sighted in their mindset on obviously going down that route in some cases? Um, I guess every every athlete's different in terms of when it comes to. So I guess what I guess what you're asking in terms of when they have these what surgeries or procedures to help themselves, you know, with sports. I think if you speak to any athlete, you know, uh, any elite athlete, especially like in track and field, you know, they're going to they'll have a list of injuries and ailments longer than your shopping list. And I think that's just part of the course in terms of doing elite sports. Your kind of body is your, your vehicle towards getting to where you want to get to, you know, so whether it's the, the medals, the experiences, you know, the traveling, going to new places, meeting new people, you know, the, the kind of, you don't think about at the time. And also when you beat, when you are an athlete at the top of your game, you think you can run through brick walls. And I think the later you get in life, you obviously, you know, I'm starting to get sore knees, my elbow, if I pick something up, elbow sore. So for me, I've had to transition my training more into like a cardio based anyway. Even though I've still got strength, I, I pay the price for it if I try to go in and lift 50 kilogram dumbbells now. Um, but then, you know, if you say, go back in time and what advice would you give to yourself? I'd just say, I don't know, it's everything that I learned and did back then kind of made me who I am today. Well, that's a good thing or a bad thing, you'd have to ask family and friends, but, you know, I, th- I think it's the uh, the journey you go on and the things you learn from, you know, being able to push yourself. Um, so so it's, I guess it's ultimately you've got to do whatever you decide to do. You've got to have no regrets about it. Um, and physically, you know, I've had, I've been under the knife that many times. Um, so you, some mornings are more difficult than others, not today because it's sunny, but it's, a, it's just part of the life of being an athlete. And then moving on to when you went to work for British Cycling, what was it like to be around uh, what, what we would term 
well, in some cases, uh, godlike in like, well, they're kind of put on a pedestal because of what they've achieved. And obviously cycling from a British perspective is, um, especially when the Olympics come round, uh, UK sport like to obviously hang a lot of hope uh, and aspirations on them delivering obviously the medals that they need to. So in terms of what was it like to be around all them superstars? Yes. Um, yeah, well, I guess become become the norm, really. So you kind of, when I was riding for Great Britain on the tandem, you would train them with Chris Hoy, Vicky Pamelton, Jamie Staff, uh, you know, Jason Queerly. So you, you're around all them, you know, established riders. Um, but even though, to be fair, even though that, that was like your normal everyday thing, you still did. I still sat there thinking, you know, this is pretty awesome. Um, you know, working with the athletes, I'd started off with a lot of the guys who'd come through now to become Olympic champions. It's like Phil Hines, Callum Skinner. So kind of, it was great to see them developing. Um, but yeah, you could say, you know, when you were when in the presence of six-time gold medalists, you know, they, they definitely had a, something about them, an aura. Um, confidence, arrogance, not, I wouldn't say, not like some sports, but, you know, they conducted themselves well, and uh, so it was, it was a pleasure to be around, in that environment, you know, up until, I think, 2008 to 2012, um, I was there till 2014, so, but put in the, I guess, the first part of that cycle, you know, it was uh, definitely an awesome atmosphere to be in uh, and then just just even if you're just watching just as a fan of sport and physical training just on a daily basis you know I'd sit up in the velodrome because I'd have meetings after five o'clock after they finished the track but just to watch how every day they'd come down and give everything they had and um, so just the professional attitude of the, the cyclists and other athletes I've worked with in other sports you know they'll do it the, the one thing that I find in common is just the attention to detail um, so I work with the weightlifting teams, work with athletes, athletics. Sorry, that's just just breaking everything down. So you know you have the marginal gains in cycling, but I think other people do that anyway. If they're serious about the sport, to kind of try and find the gains and leave no stone unturned into everything they can get an advantage from, and you know find the best in themselves. But does it not come to that point that obviously when you're talking about marginal gains, it's trying to get especially at that level, uh, that 1% extra than somebody else to probably get, well, obviously that's the diff- that can be the difference between coming first and coming last in some cases. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's, that's what it was down to. You know, if you look at the, uh, the kit, the cycling team, cycling team used to spend a lot of money, a lot of money on the research and development. So I was part of some of the testing. We went down to wind tunnel testing in um, Southampton. And just the, the people, the amount of people that they had from, they were experts in the field from British Aerospace, Formula One, a lady called Sally, like in textiles, like developing the clothing. You know, they brought together some of the, the, I guess, the smartest people in the world for, for their chosen field, all into this one place to this work on this one project, which was how do we go faster? Um, so like some, it was, I guess not even exaggerating, but it was like a lab out of some futuristic science movie, uh, just looking at numbers, data, and this is just for, for a skin suit on a bike. 
Um, but they'd even look at the components on the bikes, even the smallest amounts of material, test them to see how you wore the suit. So, you know, an athlete tells how they conducted themselves, just the training, the nutrition, the, the technique, you know, looking at even off the bike. Uh, we did a lot of stuff just in lifestyle. So it was fun. But I'm, when I've worked with athletes from other sports, the type of things that I'd share with them in terms of what, what can they do to maximize their performance. But also, just as importantly, is how do you how do you switch off? You know, because just because you're not a robot. I think that's where some people can go wrong, thinking I'm a robot, I must be robotic all the time. You know, you've got to also take into consideration there's a human in there. And that human has needs, drives, you know, you've got to look after that side of your mentality as well. And we come back to that point that you raised there, Dave, about um, the skin suits. Do you think that some of the other nations to some degree, had an inferiority complex or um, a sense that they didn't get there first, that they kind of felt they had to, what would the word would I want, um, kind of criticise British cycling because they were doing so well in Beijing. Yeah, but I think what you have to take into consideration is before that, for the most part, British cycling was a joke, the laughing stock in the world of cycling, and I guess people forget that there was a British cycling before Beijing. Um, and you know, this like in Chris Hoy's book, just talking about they asked to share skin suits. You know, they had to take, I think, they're like two inner tubes to take them to competitions. So they did have to do the, the hard yards. So now you've got this fantastic velodrome and BMX center. You've got the best kit, you know, Adidas, all, all the components, bikes, nutrition, etc. These are the guys that had to go through the shit in order to develop what it is today. You know, they, they had to build the resilience and take the kick-ins around the world. Um, so I think th- through their passion, their drive, you know, their will to succeed, you had to... A great set of individuals that were prepared to dream big, but also go get it. Um, so you know, you could argue they made created a dynasty. But for those coming through, I think like the younger brides now, they probably got it too easy. You know, so what Chris Hoy and Vicky Pendleton had to go through to get to wear their stripes. A lot of riders coming now, they haven't seen that. They haven't seen the velodrome was nearly closed down because it was seen as a white elephant. You know, they haven't had to travel with the bare minimum of equipment. You know, so everything's laid on a plate now, and it's it's you know it's interesting to see how successful the next crop will be, who haven't had to do the, the traveling up and down, sleeping on somebody's floor for a training camp. You know, so I think it's um, so yeah, the, the success they've had has, has definitely been deserved. Um, the criticism, well, obviously of no of recent, there's quite a lot around different things. Well, you know, kind of solely based on the performance and the results they've got, you know, they've worked really hard to get that. So, uh, yeah, so it's definitely been well-deserved. And uh, I was also reading uh, in a, I think it was Staffordshire University page that you broke Chris Hoy's, would it have been a university record then? Yeah, it was a British university's record. 
can't remember what year that was now. Um, that was basically the fact I was doing my master's degree. So I was probably just I was probably a little bit older than Chris Hoy was, to be fair to Chris Hoy. Uh, but yeah, all the same, it was, it was quite cool to say I broke one of Chris Hoy's records. I think I broke it by a second for the Cometer. Um, and then on the same day I broke, I think there was a guy, there was a sprint record or something as well that I broke. I mean, they've been well shattered, might have been well shattered now, you know, for the, the next lot coming through. So it was a, um, it was cool. Well, the fact that you noticed it, then it's quite a, quite a cool one to drop in conversation at like a family get together, you know. So, but it was, it wasn't often, it wasn't like his uh, personal best of like a minute dead or nothing. So, but yeah, people don't need to know that. <laughs> Well, it's still, oh, it's, a, it's still a massive accolade to have had to, you could say, well, you could chop it up as much as you like, can't you, to a certain extent, give as much information to people as you want. You, you've still beaten uh, Chris Hoy's time at that particular moment. Yeah, I guess that's probably just the track and field athlete in me, because everything that you do is like kind of black and white performance you know it's not like a team game you can hide and say that was down to me that we achieved this it's like your times your distances you know your placing so but I guess also being an an athlete mentality is just you know you're never I don't think you're ever satisfied even when you look back you don't say you know I was was awesome you mean to the general public you know you do a lot of stuff that's superhuman compared to what the average person can do but then there's all because there's always somebody better it's like I was okay, you know, I wasn't the best, I was okay, so it's, uh, well yeah, it's, maybe I'll, I'll use that one a bit more now that I'm not competing, so I can drop that one in, so thanks for reminding me. But does it come back to the individual being humble to a certain extent, how they um, associate with their, could you say, their past life to a certain extent? Yeah, again, I think it goes... Got to look, take it on an individual basis, really, how people conduct themselves. Um, you know, humility is a good characteristic to have, you know, like, so that we're in cycling, you know, they put down to earth, to be fair. Um, and that, you know, that probably goes, like I was saying before, goes back to how, how difficult it was for them. Um, but I think cycling was a little bit different because the you probably just accessibility as well. You're in the velodrome, but there's the public are there. So there's like, there's that kind of crossover of people coming on to do their track session, you know, a taster session, um, whether they're training with a club, but as they're getting ready to do their session, you know, Chris, so you'd be coming off the track after woman down behind the motorbike. So people are, you know, it's not, not many sports where you can get so close to the best in the world. Uh, it definitely doesn't happen in football. So I think the difference when you look at, say, for example, you know, you know, Premier League football, is that these guys are put on a podium on a pedestal. You know, they get they kept away from people, so it kind of gives them this massive bubble. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of smoke getting blown up their ass goes on. Uh, whereas in, you know, your individual sport, you're accountable to yourself, and you're as good as your last result. Um, so your time, you, like I said, your distance all measured. Like athletics have the power of ten. So whatever you've done at your last athletics meeting, it's there for everyone to see. So you know you can go to I mean that that can be a negative because everyone starts checking each other's times out to see where they're at. But it's um, 
Yeah, definitely. I think I think definitely humor. Most people come from you know track cycling, uh, in particular. Um, so it's a different breed for sure. And and then if we talk about your experience of competing at the Commonwealth Games, obviously that was your goal early doors. What was it like to actually finally fulfil that 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 dream of yours? Uh, so I guess there's a bit of a backstory to that. So I kind of after 2000, I think it was 2010, 2011, whenever I was on the podium with my team, sprint team, Jody Gunny was on my team, and um, Chris Hoy's team had won at nationals. And I think it was after that I was asked, I was told to focus on, you know, my, my job rather than riding a bike as well. Um, but it was, you know, it was a conflict of interest or just the way things were. So, so I chose to focus on on my doing my job. It was when I got a, I've been in touch with the coach from Northern Ireland about possibly doing a trial to go to the Commonwealth Games. Messaged them, he kind of came back, gave me some information, not a lot. So I didn't think nothing of it. Um, then he got in touch with me, and I want to say he must have been. It was definitely 2014. I'm going to say it must have been February. And at the time, he got in touch on Facebook. How's your training going? And I was like, training. I'm sitting there with a bottle of Peroni at 18 stone, <laughs> thinking. Eh, looked down at my bottle and thought, I'm messaging back. It's going okay. Yeah. So I was like, uh, why were you? And he, he said to me, oh, well, we yeah, need you to do a trial in May to get the time for the Commonwealth Games. So I was like, shit, I best uh, finish this off and start my diet. So, yeah, um, it kind of came out the blue. Went and did a trial in the velodrome in Manchester on the tandem. We had to do, I think we had to post the time. Whatever the time was, we, we, we got it recorded. Um, we did one last effort, so I said, we'll do it. One last effort, just a bit more time on the bike. As we come into the first corner in the velodrome on the tandem, the, the wheels blow. So the guy on the back come flying over the top of me. Yeah, he landed on the track. I've gone sliding across and my skin suit getting ripped into. And then he's on the floor like screaming. And I lay there. And then some woman come running across. And I thought, no, I'm just going to lie. There's no medals for getting up off the floor first. Just make sure that my body's intact. So then she come running over. I stood up and she said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm from Liverpool. So... Yeah, I, I think I had a semi-concussion. I had to slept for about a week after that. But so, then the guy on the back, James, he uh, ended up with loads of splinters. Loads of splinters come gone through his leg. He broke two ribs, busted his collarbone. So then he got taken by an air ambulance to um, to hospital. So the helicopter landed just outside the velodrome. So I was trying to do it on the download because they weren't that happy about me doing the cycling. But I couldn't have, couldn't have made a bit of scene, to be honest. So I thought, on a Saturday, there's no one about. British cycling on in. I can do it under the radar. We have a bloody crash, and then he's taken to hospital in a uh, helicopter. So, yeah, so that was it. But he healed. We went. Um, I was never going to, you know, win a medal and stuff. But the experience was, you know, to finally achieve a dream. Got to the Commonwealth Games. I was still working as a psychologist, working with quite a lot of athletes. So in that respect, it was good to be there as an athlete, but also working with others, um, and kind of got you know going through the same same process. 
uh, blow by blow. To, to, I guess to experience it, you know, there's very few sports psychologists, performance psychologists out there that have actually been involved in sports to to any level. You know, there's lots of university courses, but you know, there's very few. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's kind of I mean, that's a different topic altogether. So, but yeah, so I got to so then I got to the end of the Commonwealth Games, and then. I think the only bike I've been on since is from doing spinning in the gym. So as I said before, I wasn't particularly a massive cycle fan. It's just a vehicle for me to get to reach my dream. Um, but yeah, it's kind of finished there and just got more into the fitness side of things. So, so nothing on the cards about competing next year in the Gold Coast, though? I've quite happily sit, sit on the couch with the Peroni and watch him on telly this time. So you've now gone to fitness. Talk to me a little bit about about that then. What? How did that come about? Um. So yeah. So um, set up a company January by January time. Uh, launched Hitstep. So thirty minute uh, group exercise class. Um, using all the kind of hit principles of stuff I've kind of done done with cycling in terms of the. You know, High intensity, short recovery exercises that I used to do as part of my athletics training. Um, so I'd started as I'd kind of left pretty cycling, I was doing freelance, um, but also I thought, you know, when people ask me what I do, I just say I'm an opportunist, I'll do whatever it takes to get by. And that involves, you know, going and working in a gym. So I'd obviously done a lot of coaching with sport and fitness was a natural transition as I've been in, you know, gyms for years. Um, I'd gone in initially to take spinning classes, you know, come from cycling. That was I could do that in my sleep. Took one of the guys was off, so they asked me if I could take a hit class. And I'd having torn my pec off, and I'd reconstructive hand surgery, all all the injuries. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. So I thought, how do I, how do I, how do I blag this one? You know, how do I get away with this? So then I just grabbed a step. So I said to the people in the class, right, I'm going to use a step. And I said to them flat out, you know, I've got a torn pec, I can't do press ups. And I, you know, I can't. I definitely can't do burpees because of my hand surgery. Um, use the step. Then a few of the women thought, oh, "That's a good idea." Well, use the step. You know, cause for for women, you know, it's a bit degrading them to do press ups on that on the knees. You know, and they, you know, they admit that using the step it makes it allows it a better chance to do the press ups. So very quickly, the, the people started copying. Sorry, the class started getting the, the steps. The class became a hit class using the step. Uh, my light bulb moment came when the, the, the trainers at the gym started copying my workouts, you know, practically carbon copy, you know, I'd turn up and they were, there was a class going on, it was like, hang on, that's, that's my class, you're doing what I'm doing, so I thought, that's great, you know, flattery and all that, I thought, best to uh, capitalise on this, so that was, like, I think went through about 12 months just kind of perfecting it, putting, you know, the exercise together, could some people from other members of Team GB just on kind of training principles, whether even guys that have worked physios for Great Britain Athletics, um, some of the sports scientists from the IS, just just to make sure they had a solid product, and then got involved some of the uh, top DJs for house and bounce music, just to make it a high energy class, and launched that in January. So going going round now in about ten or twelve gyms, um, and ever grown. Launching our first instructor course in April, uh, but also doing a, an online course uh, for instructors in Australia. 
So it's kind of, I definitely didn't have this as a dream as a kid. You know, I'd kind of got to the games. So there was that moment after that. It's like, you know, shit, what do I do now? Um, so it's about, I guess, you know, being able to, and then the things I'd done along the way was those skills of being able to adapt. You've got to adapt to your environment. Um, I'd gone from being a shop putter, couldn't do that no more. What else can I do? You know, I've done the Commonwealth Games, left British Cycling. It's like, right, what do I do next? Um, wasn't that easy though, you know, there's that kind of the period in between of having to adjust and then look at yourself and think, what am I doing? Where am I going? But I find like with anyone who's, you know, top of the game and what they've done, at some stage they've had to take a pivot and change direction. Um, and nothing, as I've been doing, like meeting with a lot of networking and such with business people, you find a lot of business people have had to do that um, as well. So it's, it's definitely been an interesting but also fun time. So Dave, so I think we'll wrap it up there for this week's show. So if you had to summarize uh, this podcast in one sentence to for somebody to be able to take away, what would that be? As I say to anyone who ever asks me for any kind of pointers, is just have a dream, you know, dream, dream big. Don't uh, d- ignore, silence out the haters because you're going to get them. You know, people are going to laugh at whatever you say. Uh, if, but it's being able to put that to one side and use it as, I guess, it turn it into a positive and use it as energy. And then, you know, along the way to getting towards your dream, you're going to have many, many points where you're going to feel like giving up or you're going to doubt yourself. Um, so the one thing is to, you know, have the dream, but always believe that it's going to happen. You know, no, no matter what shit you got to get through, you just got to keep on going. So it's definitely been my kind of outlook on life and, you know, as I kind of look back on all the different experiences, it's uh, you know things to walk away with, but also apply to whatever I'm going to do next in life. So it's more than one sentence, but hey, value for money. So once again, Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. And before I forget, if you wanted to see the video version of this podcast, just type in Mindset Game Podcast on YouTube and it should come up. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.